Hello and welcome to the podcast. You're listening to Be Uncluttered. I'm Rebecca Mazzino and with me is Tara Tuttle and together we are going to help you on your journey to a life free of clutter. Hi and welcome to the show. Today's episode of the Be Uncluttered podcast is sponsored by the Source Bulk Foods, Belconnen and Dixon and their Plastic Free July Challenge. So today I want to welcome Emma who is a franchise partner for The Source in the ACT, and chat to her about her massive life transformation. Emma went from living on a 1,000-acre property to living in a 100-square-metre apartment. Beyond that, she's embraced a zero-waste lifestyle. So welcome to the podcast, Emma. Thank you. Firstly, can you paint a picture for us of what your old life looked like when you lived on the farm Um, what was life like and then what inspired you and your husband to make such a drastic move? Uh, Yeah, sure. Big question, um, Tara. So, look, I guess, you know, we had the idyllic life lifestyle really uh, living on a farm. We were about 50 kilometres from Canberra, so about an hour's drive um, out. We had all the things that you'd normally expect to find on a farm. So we had chooks and an orchard and veggie patches. Uh, We had animals, uh, you know, dogs, um, you know, plenty of free space and uh, fresh air. So it really was fantastic. When we actually first bought our farm, we weren't expecting to buy it. So, uh, you know, we, buying it was a bit of a surprise for us. We always thought that we wanted to live um, on the land and we thought that we'd do it once all the kids had left home. So uh, we actually did it probably about 10 or 15 years earlier than we had anticipated. Um, but, you know, this farm for us, it was such a great setup. Uh, it enabled us to still be able to live our lives in Canberra while also, you know, enjoying the lifestyle of a farm. So uh, we took the opportunity when it became available to us. Um, and so, so yeah, so it was good. Uh, you know, we, of course, had the usual challenges that people have, particularly when they, uh, as their kids grow into teenagers and, um, you know, want to do after school activities and start work and, uh, play sports, those kinds of things. So there was a fair bit of commuting between uh, Canberra and the farm, I have to say. So, you know, but more often than not, we kind of enjoyed it and, you know, kind of took it for what it is. A lot of it was country driving for us, which was really nice because we lived out the west of Canberra. So we weren't doing a lot of city driving. We were able to kind of escape um, pretty easily. So, uh, look, I guess, you know, we just kind of, you know, once the kids left home, we started, you know, rethinking, you know, how we wanted life to be and how we wanted things to be for us. Um, my husband and I both worked in the public service at the time. Uh, he was a contractor um, and um, I was doing some contract work as well. He ended up um, finishing up one of his contracts probably about six or seven years ago now. And so, you know, there was a period of time where it was just, uh, you know, he was working there full time and doing all the things that, you know, farmers get to do because it really pretty much is a full-time job um, living on a farm, as, as you can imagine. There's always a fence to fix or an animal to tend to um, or, you know, veggies to sow. So um, once I finished my contract, we were really just kind of thinking, okay, well, we've got no kids here anymore. Um, you know, where to from here? And that's actually when we first uh, started thinking about all of our different options and we thought about options on our farm, but we actually came across the Source Bulk Foods 
you know, as a business concept, uh, it aligns with our values and so it's something that we kind of pursued. So, uh, you know, so running a business and uh, running a farm, uh, you know, was busy and, again, you know, I guess created a lot of, um, you know, commuting and, uh, you know, time away from the farm. And having um, bought the business, I guess my husband also started working in the business as well. And so he wasn't spending as much time on the farm. And, um, you know, anyone who's owned a farm or lived on a farm knows it, it's, you know, it's a daily task. It's, there's a lot, always a lot of upkeep to do and it gets away from you if you don't stay on top of it uh, all, you know, all the time. So we ended up buying our second store about a year and a bit after our first store. So it really was quite uh, an intense period of time for us. And, um, yeah, and so we were really kind of at that crossroads of, wow, we've got these two businesses now that have taking off. Uh, you know, we've got a farm that we're not spending the time on that we'd, you know, really need to, uh, you know, in order to be able to look after it. Um, and we always had this plan that we'd live on the coast, not in the, um, you know, countryside of uh, New South Wales, which, of course, you know, always has the threats of drought and bushfires. So it's not an easy life in and of itself. So, look, we just decided that um, we wanted to pursue that dream, I guess, of, you know, living a little more coastal and a little bit more of a temperate climate. Um, we wanted to spend more time building our businesses. Um, and so, it was really ended up being a bit of a choice between, okay, well, do we pursue that or, you know, do we keep doing what we're doing? And, um, you know, the first the first one out. So we decided that we'd sell the farm. We, we didn't know how long it would take to sell the farm because farms are quite difficult to sell uh, and can take quite a long time to sell. We're fortunate, I guess, in that we got to sell ours uh, in a reasonable period of time, which meant that, yes, we moved from our beautiful 1,000 acres to our 100-square-metre uh, rental apartment that um, is our investment property um, that hopefully we won't be in for too much longer. Wow. I just, I can't even fathom how much work that must have been for however long it was managing the businesses and running the farm and the commute. How long was that that time period that you were juggling all of that? Yeah, so look, we, that was three years. So that was the last three years of our life, um, you know, was managing all of those things. And so, yeah, look, it was. It was huge um, and it was exhausting. Uh, but, you know, it's really hard, isn't it, when you've got to choose between two things that you love. And that's kind of where we found ourselves. We loved our businesses, but we also loved the farm. But unfortunately, we couldn't love on them both. Yeah, that's it. You can have it all, can't you? You just can't have it all at the same time. That's exactly right. So how big, so we know the farm was big. How big was your house? Because I'm guessing, you know, a lot of properties come with a lot of equipment and then, yeah. you know, generally have biggish farmhouses or outbuildings as well that are furnished and that kind of thing. I'm guessing you must have had to downsize in a pretty major way to fit into your 100 square metres. Can you tell us about that process? Where do you even start yes. downsizing? <laughs> yes, well, we did actually. So, you know, we had the typical four-bedroom house, um, you know, with the lovely verandas all around. We'd actually renovated uh, it as well. So, um, you know, we were, it was gorgeous and we'd loved it and filled it with all the things that we loved. We also had a stone cottage uh, as well, a one-bedroom stone cottage. We had a log cabin which was, had been turned into a storeroom for everybody else's belongings rather than ours. 
uh, as well as three sheds. So, you know, there, oh. there was a lot, uh, there was a lot of stuff there and it takes a lot to manage a farm, uh, you know, as well as run a household with three teenagers as well. So, so yeah, it was a big job. It was a big job. So to, to start the process of downsizing, I'm guessing this was happening alongside the businesses and selling and moving um, and commuting. <laughs> so what was the process of downsizing? Did you just start selling off items or did you give things away or did you make your children come and collect all their belongings? <laughs> like how, what? talk us through it. How did it work? Yeah, yeah. Well, look, do you know the first the first stage was actually to get everybody else's stuff out of our place. So I mentioned that log cabin, which had turned into a bit of a storeroom that stored, you know, things for everybody else. So uh, that was the first job. And um, it wasn't so much people coming and getting our stuff as as us having to take it to deliver it to them. So um, that was a lot of weekends, uh, you know, and a lot of time spent uh, putting stuff in the ute and taking it over and dropping it off to people with a big smile and saying, here we go, you can have all your stuff back now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, yeah. We were very fortunate because we don't, uh, Rowan and I are not, you know, we're, we're not hoarders per se. He used to be. I've, I fixed him up on that one <laughs> a, few, a few years back. But we did end up being everybody else's storage room. So that really was the, you know, the place to start. And to be honest with you, Tara, that took probably about eight weeks just to get rid of everybody else's stuff, just bit mm-hmm. by bit, ute load by ute load. So, yeah, including trips to, you know, uh, the Blue Mountains in, the, in New South Wales, for example, to drop stuff off to my siblings as well (laughs) wow and then did you leave any of the stuff with the farm when you when you sold it or did you know for example uh furniture in your home and that kind of thing did you sell it independently did you put it on facebook marketplace how did you how did you move some of this stuff before you physically up and left yeah so look we um we didn't leave anything on the farm except i think a fridge and a washing machine so uh, and maybe a few tools uh, so it all did go and I was really determined actually when we were doing this that I didn't want to have to get any external storage for uh, you know for the next couple of years so it was pretty much everything had to go so we did the usual we did the stuff up on Facebook marketplace we took stuff to the secondhand stores we took stuff to the charity stores um, we did it all and was there any real struggle points or pain points you found? Were there things that you were sentimental about that you just knew you had to let go? And if there was, how did you get past that? Yeah, no, absolutely there was. And, in fact, I have a few regrets as we sit here um, about a couple of things that I let go that I kind of wish I hadn't. But, look, for us what we decided to do was to kind of set a bit of a theme around what we were doing and so, you know, we're in the process of making such an enormous lifestyle change. So not only lifestyle in terms of, uh, you know, moving, firstly, you know, to our apartment um, and then onto the south coast, you know, which will take us a couple of years to do that thing, but also in the way in which we run our businesses. And we've since opened a third business, which is not a um, related to the source bulk foods. So... Uh, um you know so we knew we were making these big changes and so for us it was kind of like okay so the theme around this really is it's almost like a not start from new but you know 
a, a, a new start for us, if you like. Both Roland and I came to our relationship having been married before. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, one of the things that we agreed on was that anything that came to us prior to us meeting was going to go. So, wow, yeah. I, I really like that because it kind of gives you a framework then, doesn't it? It does. It's, it's like a really, and you know, um, Beck and I have talked about this on the show before. Sometimes it's really handy to set those rules or those limits because it takes the singular decision out of every item. It goes, you go, you know, there's a category. Does it fall in the category that we're taking or does it fall outside of that? In which case it's an automatic go. Um, and you kind of reduce some of your decision fatigue if you've got some some rules or some limits in place. Absolutely. And it makes that decision making so much uh, easier, you know, and so much more quickly. I mean, we did, uh, clearly we kept some stuff, you know, um, that preceded us. But, you know, for the main, it was a great way to be able to just make an easy decision, um, you know, and move stuff on. And so if there was anyone listening to this that is contemplating a downsize or that process is imminent have you got any advice for them or something that you wish you would have been told before you started the process yeah look I have lots of advice (laughs) from lots of experience so the first thing is it took us it took us uh nine months to you know from putting our house on the market to moving to our apartment we needed that whole nine months to downsize. Like it takes, it does take time. And I think it's easy to think, oh, I'll, I can do that, you know, as I'm packing up. But, you know, for such a large downsize, it's just not possible. So one of the things that I found uh, with my husband in particular, as I mentioned, he was previously a bit of a hoarder, is that it took probably three or four times to go through the keep pile before we got to the real keep pile. So every time we'd go through it, you know, another one or two things would go. So rather than packing everything up straight away, what I would do is I had one room which I'd kind of reserved for the things that we'd gone through and I'd put them in a pile. And then if either the uh, moment arose or we were getting ready to pack it up, I'd get him to go through it again. I mean, his books are a classic example. So he loves books. And uh, he, I made him go through those about four times before we got to the final, final book selection, uh, which are now packed up in one of our kids' sheds. <laughs> oh, right. So. I was going to ask um, what happened to the books. So, yeah. so that, uh, now the kids are paying you back That's for it. storing. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, so that was pretty good. Yeah, do you know what the other thing that really surprised me is that what you think is, um, you know, rubbish is someone else's just treasure. We mm-hmm. sold so much stuff that I just thought or gave away or, you know, the uh, charity shops would take, which I didn't think they would. So much stuff which I thought oh, in, on any other day I would have thought was rubbish but uh, you know, because I'm always aspiring to be a zero waster, I always try and push the envelope and just check just in case. Um, and so there were things that you would ordinarily think, do you know what, that's broken, I'm just going to throw it away, that you would find that someone would love, and that someone would want and someone would fix and someone would repair and, you know. So that was another really interesting part in the process. But I'm guessing that in itself is quite time-consuming because you can't just automatically... You know, you can't stick every, I mean, putting things online to sell is time consuming anyway, but yeah. you can't put everything there because if things are broken, you've got to find the right 
marketplace. So you've got to find um, the charity store or in Canberra we have that wonderful institution, the Green Shed, yeah. where people go for things like that. But I, it, that all takes time. And so I'm guessing you did this all yourself or, you know, you and your husband. You didn't yes. get any external no, we did it. No, we did it all ourselves, and that's why I say, you know, it, does, it takes that amount of time. Mm-hmm. It's not one of those jobs where you think, "I'll do it as I'm packing." It just that was just never. Fortunately, we kind of knew that 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 was just never going to work. So, so yes, it was a big and, job and bundling. Yeah, with your also. with your husband, if he was a bit of a a collector or a bird, liked his things yeah. around him. Were were there any processes? other than the revisiting things again and again that helped him to let go of stuff? Is there any kind of shift he had to take? Yeah, look, I think he had to take a bit of a uh, mental shift and that's why I just kept, you know, saying to him, you know, this is about us having a new start and so Mm -hmm. think about what you want to bring into your new start, you know, rather than having the old stuff. And, you know, he's very sentimental. So when I talk about stuff, I'm not talking about, necessarily uh you know physical things that might be around these are things in boxes you know or like you know all the card your cards that he got for you know christmas and birthdays and father's days and Mm -hmm. uh you know old movie tickets and concert tickets and all those kinds of things so he's never been one for kind of stuff for the sake of stuff but always always very sentimental So, so yeah yeah so I think so, he's got one box. He's down to one small, almost shoebox size of all the things that he really, truly wants to keep. That's fascinating, isn't it, that yeah. you can uh, reduce it to that amount. And it's that whole idea that when everything is kept because you feel like everything is important, then nothing is really important. Yeah, but exactly. When you when you reduce it... Um, then, you know, the stuff that you do keep becomes really treasured, doesn't it? Because you've gone through the process of eliminating anything that's not critical and the, and the memories or the sentimental bits you keep then do become like treasure because, you know, they're the best of the bunch. That's what you chose to keep. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's what he's found now as well. So he didn't need to have 30, you know, concert tickets. He's now got the, you know, three or four of the concerts that really meant the most to him, mm-hmm. you know, for example. But, I mean, he had, you know, he would he keeps things like old passports, you know, and stuff like that. Um, I don't know why. He seems to like paper. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, it's hard because it feels like sometimes some of these things are, it's like, the proof of our existence isn't it you know this the passport shows shows where we traveled shows when we went there yeah um and sometimes letting go of that stuff makes you feel like it didn't happen or it didn't exist if there's no proof um so yeah yeah, I can I can empathize with that (laughs) so now that you're on the other side of this you're in a hundred square meter apartment how does it how does life feel different less stuff yeah so look it feels um a lot lighter and our life is a lot easier I think um you know that is the word that we would both use um the most so it's easier clearly in terms of you know our lifestyle and running our businesses that's what we wanted to do but it's easier just in terms of um you know upkeep and not always having to worry about stuff and things and where things are or where they're not because if they're not in the drawer, then we don't actually have it anymore. 
So, you know, there's a lot of mental clutter that's been left or, you know, left behind um, as well as physical clutter, uh, you know, which has been uh, really nice for us, really awesome for us. I think the other thing for us too, and, you know, some of it's about farm, but I think some of it's also about big house is um, I didn't realise how much that lifestyle in itself weighed on our shoulders, you know, the things that we were doing, even, you know, the worry of bushfires, for example, you know, in summer, every time we'd leave wondering what might happen because there was a bushfire in our area every single year. So it wasn't about would there be a bushfire, it was about when there was going to be a bushfire Mm. and where that bushfire would be. So even those kinds of things, you know, uh, we had a, there was a period of time where we had um, one of our rams kept getting out and into our neighbour's place. There was just, just this constant nagging of, oh God, the neighbour's ringing, you know, are they inviting us over for a drink or are they telling us that our rams, you know, back in their paddock? (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that all those things that come with living a big kind of lifestyle, we don't have those, we don't have those stresses anymore. So I think we're really enjoying that. I mean, you know, we would have loved more than anything to have spent COVID um, on our farm. Of course, that would have been the perfect place to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, we were open. So uh, it's probably just as well we were here because we were busy. Um, so we do miss it. You know, we definitely miss the lifestyle. But we know where we're going. Like we've got a very, very clear vision about what our future looks like. And I think that's what helps us, um, you know, kind of, move through this transition and being able to move from a thousand acres to a hundred square meters. It's completely fascinating. I'm sure we'll have some good discussion after this too, with some of the community about other people that have made big shifts. So you mentioned before about um, living zero waste or wanting to be um, as close to zero waste as possible. Can you explain the concept of a zero waste lifestyle for us and, and what it what it might look like for the average person? Yeah, yeah. Look, and I think, um, you know, for me, I always call myself an aspiring zero waster. I think it's really hard to be a zero waster and it puts way too much pressure on people mm-hmm. um, as well because you, I don't know about you, but when I think about a zero waster, I, you know, my mind conjures that image of someone who's, you know, got their three years worth of waste in one of those little small jars. <laughs> yep. um, <laughs> and that's certainly not me. <laughs> as much as I would love it to be, that's certainly not me. So, yeah, so look, uh, you know, zero wasting or living a zero waste life for me is about being really conscientious about the choices that you make um, and particularly in relation to the amount of waste, uh, your purchases or the way you choose to live your life generates um so so for me it's about making just simple decisions um and you know and in fact sometimes those decisions are really hard they're simple but they're hard so a really great example is um you know I'm a keep me cup person clearly you know if I want to buy a coffee or something from the shop I always take my own cup but of course in COVID-19 you know we haven't been able to use our own keep me cups Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's the half of me that wants to support local businesses and keep them going. And then there's the other half of me that, you know, knows that there's a waste element as well. So, you know, so zero wasting to me, it's about being conscientious and being able to make conscientious choices. And sometimes those choices will will involve uh, waste and sometimes, you know, they won't. So I guess the big things for me are particularly around food. So I do all my grocery shopping um, clearly in my stores. I do all of my fruit and veg shopping through, I have a subscription with a particular farm here that delivers organic fruit and veg to me. 
and then I also go to the markets um, as well. I ch- always choose um, and support pro- uh, producers who don't use plastic. So there's a great one in Canberra or there's a couple of good ones in Canberra, for example, who package all of their fruit and veggies into brown paper bags rather than in plastic bags. Mm-hmm. Um, I can get a little bit obsessive. I do things like I refuse to buy strawberries or any berries in any of those plastic containers, mm-hmm. uh, which means that when one of our staff members' mother made us a beautiful birthday cake for our store's first birthday, I ate all the berries off the top of the cake because we hadn't had a berry for so long. <laughs> so uh, it doesn't always lead to good habits. <laughs> so, yeah, so, look, I think zero wasting, it's, it's about being conscientious. It's about making those choices, you know, and being a, because they can be inconvenient. So being okay with the inconvenience of them um, as well. Yeah, and, look, I think the word that I really heard you say there is choice because so many people feel like there's not an option. Um, yeah. I... But I must admit kind of begrudgingly last year did plastic free July for the month uh, on the request of my daughters and it was hard work but it made me see that there are options and I had to work them into my life and it wasn't always as convenient but before that I thought well I don't have a choice if I want this product I have to take the packaging and then it was like once I started to look a bit deeper Actually, you do have a choice. And I think once people start owning the choices they make, that can help them go a long way towards less waste. If it's not, if you're not aspiring to be zero waste or even, I don't know what you would classify as low waste, but just less, just reducing it somewhat. So have you always been a aspiring zero waster or a low waster? Or was this an evolution of thinking that came with the stores? Yeah, look, it was a bit of an evolution, I guess, of thinking. Um, so, you know, my husband, he grew up on a farm and, you know, in the, um, you know, on a farm where everything was used and reused and there was no waste. It wasn't about environmental zero wasting. It was about, you know, economies mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, being economic and using everything on the farm. Um, you know, to its best use. I grew up in a household where uh, the philosophy, if you like, particularly of my mum, was you buy the best of what you can afford, but you don't buy a lot of it. So mm-hmm. not so much. So again, you know, not someone who's always been surrounded by a lot of stuff, but that wasn't necessarily about an environmental impact. And in fact, so, you know, the, our evolution of thinking, I guess, around zero wasting, you know, comes from that place of you know for me around you don't need a lot of stuff it burdens you you know buy what you can afford uh you know and use it well and you know come and combined with my husband which is reuse everything you've got you know to the nth degree um, until there's no more life left in it Mm -hmm. um so you know and of course living on a farm you're far more aware of your environmental um environment impact that you have and far more aware of how it's you don't have the convenience of just going out and buying the stuff that you want when you need it so you have to become you know quite resourceful so i think for me it was you know the evolution started from a number of different points rather than from one point in particular and i can remember a couple of like really significant things so i remember my friend saying to me must have been about you know eight years ago or so that she really wanted to retire when she was 50 
And so she had this new thing that um, every time she wanted to buy something, she'd pick it up and say, will this get me to my retirement at 50, you know, or not? And then again, it's about this kind of conscious choice making. And then she'd either say no and put it back and not buy it. Or she'd say no, but I'm still going to buy it, you know, and she'd buy it. Or mm-hmm. she'd say yes, you know, and, and she'd buy it. And I really liked that. I kind of liked, I kind of twigged on to that thing around. That's that's actually pretty cool. If you start making more conscientious choices around what you purchase and don't purchase for whatever reason it might be. And for her, it was around retirement. And then at a, at a very similar time, I had another friend tell me that, um, she knew someone who'd just done 12 months of not buying any clothes and that she'd set herself a challenge to only use the clothes that were in her wardrobe and to do that for 12 months. And I loved that idea. I thought, that's a great idea. I love that. I've got enough clothes here. I'm going to give that a go. Um, and so I did. I did do that. And I found, you know, in that 12 months, and in fact, I very rarely buy clothes now, that um, I could make up a whole range of outfits that I'd never thought about you know, previously by putting different things together that I hadn't really put any thought to, you know, because I could always think, oh, if I'm a bit bored, I'll just go buy something new. So, you know, so that was also a bit of a challenge um, around thinking as well. Um, And then the third thing for me was, um, you know, as a result of doing that, I decided that I would not buy anything in my bathroom until I'd used up all the products that we had. And so my daughter was doing a hairdressing apprenticeship at the time. So we had, you know, a thousand bottles of bottoms of, you know, shampoo and conditioner Mm -hmm. and all sorts of things. Um, And I had stuff in my um, bathroom cupboard. And I don't know if you do, Tara, that, you know, been there for about 10 years. It was saving for best, including this beautiful glitter um, (laughs) moisturizer from Estee Lauder. that I'd been given like about 15 years previous. Anyway, I decided that I was going to use all that stuff up before I bought anything new. And, you know, it took me 10 months to get through everything that we had in our household, uh, you know, before I bought a cake of soap or, you know, uh, filled up our bottles with shampoo as well. So it was this combination of those three things. I did those three things even before we thought um, about buying the source bulk foods that just, I guess, just, you know, built the momentum um, and set the groundwork you know, for becoming an aspiring zero waster. It's really interesting to see that kind of the the journey and the the things that stuck with you, like the stuff in the bathroom cupboards, because it's so relatable. We all kind of go through that or have that, all the clothes and, you know, kind of once you stop yourself just getting lazy and bringing new stuff in, you look for inspiration in your wardrobe and it sparks all this creativity, which we don't even know we have, because we always take the easy option of just adding more. A hundred percent. Absolutely. And then, you know, you kind of get a bit of energized. So that's what happened to me is I got energized by doing that. So then I started thinking, well, where else can I do this? And that's where I started with my bathroom. Think, oh, I could do it in my bathroom mm. as well. So, yeah. <laughs> so with the source bulk foods in the ACT, yeah, it's a very well-known, well-loved business you've got some very loyal customers that speak really highly of it for people that aren't aware of the bulk foods concept people that aren't familiar of how those kind of stores operate can you tell us a little bit you know bulk foods 101 what types of products do you sell and what are the benefits of buying from a store like yours yeah sure so look bulk food stores are exactly that so they're stores where pantry items 
um, food items, even cleaning products are kept in bulk. And the reason they're called bulk is because you buy them from a bulk container and you just buy the amount that you need. So in our particular stores, you can bring your own jars and containers, which get weighed, and then you can fill them to your heart's content. So they contain all of your pantry staples. So everything from rice and beans and pasta, flour, uh, dried fruits and nuts, breakfast cereals, chocolates and all your favorite snacks are the types of uh, products that you can buy in a zero waste way. The beauty of those is that you can buy the amount that you need. So you're not locked into a pre-packaged amount, which can be really helpful, Mm -hmm. particularly if you're trying out a new recipe or you only need a small amount of something. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's a whole range of cleaning products as well, where you can bring bring your uh, bottles back and um, have them refilled, whether it be personal cleaning items like shampoos and conditioners or hand wash or your household items so washing powder washing liquid dishwashing liquid and powder um, all those kinds of things so it's just a really nice way to be able to you know buy great food uh, buy a great variety of food by the by the quantity that you're after and not have all the waste and all the packaging a lot of the food that we source also um, you know we turn it over very quickly so it's it's very fresh we get lots of good comments, particularly around our nuts, how fresh our nuts are, um, because, you know, it's, it's food that's not sitting around, you know, in cans or containers for months and months on end. Mm. I remember when I first started going to a bulk food store, um, I could not get over the reduction, not just in regular rubbish, but in my recycling. And I guess I never... I always attached guilt to the amount of um, bags that were in my rubbish bin that was going to landfill. But I kind of always felt guilt-free about the recycling bin because I thought, oh, well, it's being recycled. But when I was starting to take my bin out to the curb for pickup, my recycling bin, and it was only half full when it was never like that, it was always recycling was always at capacity every time the bin was being picked up. When it was only half full, it was this swell of pride that I really hadn't expected because I thought, okay, it's not just about that I'm using less. It's, you know, and that my that I've got more room in my bin. But I'm like, I'm no one has to recycle the, these these packaging. There's even less guilt because it just hasn't been used. And the one bottle of um, dishwashing powder, for example, that I bought two years earlier, that same one plastic container is still going round and round because I just keep taking it in and filling it up. And there's so much. It becomes, I think, almost a bit addictive when you see other people drag out full bins and you think, oh, you just don't know what's going on. You don't know how good this feels to think, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm not contributing in the same way I used to, to the resources being used. And because recycling is is fine and it's great, it's better than not recycling, but also the amount of energy and water and other resources put in to recycle is still huge. It's still using, you know, so much stuff. So there's oh, there's so much goodness that comes out of living in this different way. Absolutely. And I think, you know, a bit like I was saying before, it creates a level of momentum. I think when you start to become a little bit more conscientious, um, you know, about one part of your life, you start to become more conscientious about other parts of your life as well. And so, you know, the good vibes and the good feelings that come from, um, you know, shopping 
properly, like, you know, uh, shopping in a visceral way, you know, not just throwing bags into a trolley, mm-hmm. you know, but actually making some conscious choices, opening your containers, you know, pouring in your food, choosing how much you have becomes an experience, you know, rather than just another job to do. And then, you know, it, like I say, it just creates momentum. So, so it creates momentum in the way you then choose to cook. Uh, you know, in in the other choices that you make in your life in terms of what's important to you and what's not. Yeah, and I feel like it evokes a bit of a hunter-gatherer kind of <laughs> sensation in you as well because you. I feel like the whole process, you're just more connected to your to your food, where it comes from. And like you said, quantities, It's and then it doesn't feel like, I don't know, it feels so nameless, faceless when you're just grabbing a package off the shelf as you slide through the supermarket. And, you know, for some people there's no other options. But where there is an option to go, okay, I want to buy a packet of almonds um, or I want, you know, 300 grams, where, you know, where do they come from? What are my options? Well, look, these ones are smoked, these ones are roasted, these ones are salted, these ones are, and how much do I want? And maybe I'll try a bit of this while I'm here as well. And, you know, where do they come from? When were they um, roasted, for example? Like all of this kind yes. of information, it becomes, you're so much more connected to your food and where it comes from rather than just this faceless, nameless brand package on the shelf that you just slide into your trolley kind of with no relationship with the product or where it comes from no 100 percent, 100 percent, and I think it makes you more um you know because you become more connected you know with your food through shopping I think you become more connected with your food through the way you then cook mm-hmm. and then we you know what you choose to consume as well so and you know and the more the more you cook and you know, it doesn't have to be hard cooking um you know I'm an easy lazy cook um, but you know, I'll go, I'll even go out to dinner and think, do you know what? I could have cooked that, mm-hmm. you know, or I could cook something as tasty as that. Like you start to see things kind of for what they are, um, in the same way, uh, you know, junk food suddenly just doesn't taste any good anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. So getting back to going low waste or zero or becoming aspiring zero wasters, often people can feel quite overwhelmed with the idea of it. And like I said, it can be hard, especially starting out when you've got so used to just consuming and consuming with no thought. So can you share maybe if you've got, say, top three tips for people that might just want to start somewhere? Where where should we start with reducing the volume of our waste? Yeah, for sure. Most definitely. I would suggest, and I agree, it can be completely um, overwhelming. And I think trying to say, all right, I'm going to do, you know, become a zero waster, you know, today is you're setting yourself up for fail, up for failure. And that the best thing to do really is to just do one thing at a time. So if you can just start with one thing, you know, then you're already making a difference. And I think it's really important too that people understand that even though sometimes it might not feel like much, every little bit counts and every little bit is cumulative. So every person who chooses, you know, not to buy a bottle of water, you know, is making a difference. And I think it's important also to remember that not only are you making a difference in terms of you're not consuming that bottle of water, but we're sending a pretty strong message also to those who manufacture, say, bottles of water, as an example, you know, that they're not something that we want to buy anymore. We want to see them differently. Mm-hmm. So my first tip would definitely be just start with just one thing. Um, you know, don't overwhelm yourself with trying to do too many things. 
Um, the second thing I would say is maybe just pick one part of your household where you could try doing zero waste. I mentioned that I started with our bathroom. Now, you might want to start in your kitchen or in your pantry, or you might want to start with your cleaning products in your laundry. So, you know, pick one part of the house where you think you could just give it a go, uh, see what you've got and, and uh, see how that works for you. And then I think the other one, which is kind of probably a nice easy one for all of us given most people are coffee drinkers of some sort is start with a keep me cup so you know just try and um, you know take your keep me cup with you and if you forget it then either don't have it or sit down and actually enjoy a sit down coffee rather than uh, necessarily having to take one on the go but you know it's really about not feeling guilty you know not feeling bad not feeling like you haven't done enough but really just giving it a go having a try and just knowing that one step you know puts you in good stead for the next step i really like that and one way i got around the whole um keep me cup not having it sometimes when i thought i might is i had bought my own and i had one um in my, I used to I used to use it, wash it up, put it back in my handbag. But then occasionally I'd duck out in the car and I'd bump into a friend and they'd say, oh, do you want to have a coffee? You know, if we had the kids at the playground or whatever. So I got, uh, I requested a second one for my birthday and I kept that in the car. And so that was like the family backup, keep me cup. So if we were ever at sport and someone had forgotten one or if one of us was out in the car and had forgotten to take ours or I didn't take my handbag we were, we had a spare in the car and so quite often we would be standing at netball on the weekend and someone would say um, you know my husband and I both have our keep cups and someone would say oh we oh you're so you know clever we always forget to bring ours I'd say well hang on I've got a spare one in the car it's clean it's all good do you want to do you want to borrow that one and you can borrow ours and it was just it was about a shift in awareness of taking things and keeping them and putting them back once we'd finished you know use it take it home wash it put it back in the car and it just changed it and I don't drink that much coffee but my husband does and I know over the course of a year the amount of coffee cups that we must have saved and like you said it's the it's a tiny shift but it builds this momentum and then you think okay I've mastered that now what's next what can I do more of yeah, absolutely. And I love that idea. That's a great idea. And the same, I think, with water. You know, water's another great one because mm-hmm. someone's always got some water on them, you know, or someone's happy to give you a glass of water. So, you know, that's another good one as well. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it's like any habit, right? It's hard to get started and it's frustrating and you get it wrong, but you just got to, if you persist and you just keep doing it, then you'll, you'll get there, yeah, and, and you'll start to see the shift and the change. But I think it's also important that you've just got to know why you're doing it mm-hmm. um, because, you know, if you really have a compelling reason as to why it's important to you, it becomes so much easier, um, you know, to think, well, I'm not going to do it. In that case, I'm not going to do it. So, um, you know, and then you don't have all these guilts about, oh, my God, I should have done it and I didn't do it. Mm-hmm. And look, if you if you want to start with coffee cups, there is some really interesting articles and programs and stuff like that on TV or on the internet. Just Google disposable coffee cups and find out how long they take to break down and how many the average person uses in a year and that kind of stuff. And if you didn't have a compelling reason before, you will after <laughs> watching that because it's pretty confronting some of it. Yeah. Um. So now, Emma, your store has got a challenge coming up 
um, for the end of July. Can you tell us about that and what's involved? Yeah, absolutely. So we this is the second year we'll be running this challenge and it's called a it's a plastic free challenge for plastic free July. And we run it in the last 10 days of uh, July. It's well, actually the last 11 days. So we start on the 20th of July. And the challenge is really about helping people who've either started the plastic free challenge um, you know, to get that last oomph, to get them over the line for the last of the month, mm-hmm. or for those who might have been thinking about it, uh, giving them a chance to get started before the month ends. So the theme around the Plastic Free Challenge for us is that we know that people know what they can do um, and they know how to find the information about what they should do. That, that part of it is easy. And we include some of that information in our challenge. But in particular in our challenge, we have 10 days where we give you 10 mindset um, hacks that you can think about to help you kind of build that habit and that momentum of becoming a zero waster. So over the 10 days, we give you, uh, we reveal 10 of these mindset hacks. We've got plenty of um, competitions and giveaways along the way as well. We always have a great community um, sitting behind it. So it's always lots of fun and it's free to join. There's nothing, it doesn't cost anyone anything. Um, you're free, it's free to join. So if we want to be a part of it, where do we go? Where can we find Find more information, yeah. Mm. So uh, all the information uh, will be on our Facebook page, which is um, at either the Source Bulk Foods in Dixon or in Belconnen, and also on our Instagram accounts, um, and you'll find everything there. Well, Emma, it has been wonderful talking to you and hearing all about the downsizing and your lifestyle shift and zero waste and the bulk foods. Like I feel we've got, you know, such a plethora of information to you know contemplate and think over um i will make sure that all the links to emma's website her stores the challenge instagram pages that kind of thing are all in our show notes so if you would like to find out more about the plastic free challenge at the end of july starting the 20th of july you can head to the show notes for this episode and click through the links and find all of emma's things there um If you would like to know more, you can contact Emma Direct. And like I said, her contact details will be on our pages as well. Or pop up in our community and tell us about some of your experiences with going low waste um, or downsizing. We'd love to hear about what you've gone through as well. So thanks so much for joining us today, Emma. My pleasure. Thanks, Tara. Thank you. And we'll chat again next week. Thanks for joining us. We'd love it if you'd leave a review or tell all your friends about us so that they too can be uncluttered. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us at beuncluttered.com.au or on social media or on our own websites at clearspace.net.au and basklifecoaching.com.